You're listening to The Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 36. This is The Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At The Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing. You should too. All right, all right, all right. Here we go, you guys. Episode number 36 of the Best in Wealth Podcast. My name is Scott Wellens, and I am your host. This is a show dedicated to helping real people. That is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, and a wealth advisor. And today's topic is titled, Where are the best places to put my retirement savings. You know, a lot of times I get folks coming into my office and asking me, should I invest in my 401k, my 403b, my IRA, an annuity, a taxable account, all the different sources of places where you can invest your money. Where is the best place for you? Where is the best place for a family steward to put their retirement savings. Before we get started, I just want to real quick say thank you so much for listening to episode number 36. And if you want more resources, please visit the site bestinwealth.com. And if you want to learn what it's like investing like a family steward, download the 10 steps to a better investment experience. That will begin to open your eyes on what real investing is like. Not gambling, not speculation, but real investing. The other thing you can do at bestinwealth.com is go to the show notes and find other episodes. Since we are on episode number 36, there are 35 other episodes packed with knowledge bombs for you to be a better family steward, a better investor, a better person overall. So make sure you take advantage of bestinwealth.com. And I'm one happy person today for several reasons. First, it's Friday. I always like Friday. Second, it's nice outside today, which hasn't really happened much lately here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So those are two really good reasons to be happy. But I'm happy for two other reasons too. Number one, we just finished another session today of all pro dads at my kids' elementary school. And I'm going to tell you one more time, I know I've told you already, if you do not have an all pro dads chapter at your elementary school, that is if you have kids that are in elementary, you need to go out and start one today. Go to allprodads.com, click start a chapter, get going. It might be one of the greatest things you ever do as a family steward. It's really easy to lead one of these groups. It takes a little effort and time. However, a lot of the resources they give you And it's just so great to get together with other dads and their kids at the low at our elementary school and have breakfast and laugh and have fun. And at the same time, learn how to be a better dad. 
But the second and more important reason why I'm happy today, or I should say my fourth reason, it's Friday, it's nice outside, All Pro Dads was today. But the last and more important reason is my wife looked at me today and said that I was getting skinny face syndrome again. And if you don't know what that is, because you probably have never seen a picture of me before, I'm not that good looking of a guy. But when I really start to lose weight, then I get a really skinny face. And I call that skinny face syndrome. I pile up fat in two different places in the fall and in the winter. Right in my belly, which is the worst place that you can store up fat. And then I guess in my face, because when I start losing weight, my gut starts to go away and my face gets all skinny. And I do not look good in a skinny face. And more importantly, my wife doesn't think I look good in a skinny face. And after all, all I really care about is what she thinks, if you know what I mean. So she told me today that she thought that I reached my point where I should stop losing weight and start maintaining. I've been working hard since the beginning of the year to get rid of my gut since I put on 20 pounds last fall and winter and it's all gone now. So she put me in maintain level. This is super duper cool because I can start eating more food. This is super bad because this is when my real struggle begins. I don't know about you, but it's easier for me to lose weight than it is to maintain my current weight. And my wife gave me a quick warning. She said, this does not mean that you should go to the old country world buffet for lunch because that's what I do. I start eating everything in sight when I'm not trying to lose weight. I don't know why it happens. It just does. And before I know it, I don't have skinny face syndrome anymore. I have fat guy in a little coat syndrome because my belly's all fat again. So now I need to just find a way throughout the summer and fall and winter to maintain where I am right now. I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a secret, though. I did reach into the pantry after she left for work, and I grabbed a Twinkie, and I downed that guy, and it tasted so stinking good. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go, you guys. Where are the best places to put my retirement savings? This is a question that I get often. So I, what I want to do today is explore the different places where your money could go and then go over a couple of examples that will help you understand where the best places for you to put your retirement money. So last week we talked a whole bunch about 401ks and really I should have titled it 401k or 403b and if you didn't listen to last week's episode I encourage you to do so. At some point, go to bestandwealth.com and click on episode number 35. Or if you're listening through iTunes or another podcast app, just find episode number 35. So people are coming to my office all the time asking how much they should save and where their retirement money should go. So here's a quick rule of thumb. If you don't have a comprehensive financial plan right now, which you should, shame on you if you don't, but if you do not, 
and you feel like you've been saving pretty well these last bunch of years, then 15% of your gross income is where I would start. I will warn you though, that might be a rate that's too high if you've been an aggressive saver early in your working career. It might be way too low if you're older and you have some catch up to do, but we're going to stick with the 15% right now. Everyone is different and the only way to truly know is if you have a comprehensive financial plan. And, but even though everybody deserves a plan, everybody needs a plan. Most people don't have a comprehensive financial plan. We don't have one. It's just the facts of the world right now. So if you're clueless, let's start with 15%. Okay, so one place where you could put your retirement savings is in your 401k plan if, if your company that you work for offers one. Or maybe you work for a state or local public institution or nonprofit. And instead of a 401k plan, they offer a 403b plan. They're similar in a lot of ways, different in some, but that's another place to put your money. And in 2016, you can defer up to $18,000 of your income into your retirement plan at work. If you're 50 or older, then you can actually save an extra $6,000 within that account. Before you do that, though, you have an important job to do. And it was one of the pitfalls I talked about last week about 401ks is you need to figure out how much your plan is charging in expenses. It's the only way to really know if it's a good 401k plan or a bad 401k plan. It comes down to two things. What are the expenses and what are the investment options within that 401k plan? Figure out what those expenses are. So another place to put your retirement money is in an individual retirement account or IRA. So if your employer doesn't offer a 401k, this is where you start. Or if you have a bad 401k plan with bad expenses and bad investment options or are maxing out your 401k plan, this is where you go to next, your IRA. There's limits to IRAs. And in 2016, the limit is $5,500. That's how much you can put into your IRA. Incidentally, we're going to go over a little bit about what's the better place, a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. And remember, there are income restrictions too. So if you're married and making over $118,000 as an adjusted rate, as your adjusted gross income, you do not qualify to defer your IRA contribution. There is still something called a non-deductible IRA, which money would go into that same IRA account. You would just have to pay taxes on that money first. And then any gain that you have throughout the years is all tax deferred. When you go to take out money out of your plan when you retire, that after-tax money will not be taxed again. So remember, you can always contribute to a non-deductible IRA, even though you are making too much money. And as far as a Roth IRA goes, if your adjusted gross income, and that's married, by the way, is over 193000 then you cannot contribute to a Roth. If you're single, that restriction is at 131000 These are the 2016 limits. 
Now, there is a strategy, though, if you don't, and it gets a little complicated, so I'm not suggesting you go do this by yourself, but if you don't have any other IRAs set up and you make too much money, you are eligible to contribute to a non-deductible IRA and then turn around and recharacterize that non-deductible into a Roth IRA. And then even if you're making over that 193000 adjusted gross income, you're now in the Roth. It is a, I guess, loophole, although it's very legal to do it. I think there was some senator somewhere making too much money and decided to implement this. So it's perfectly legal for us to do. I don't anticipate it being around forever because I don't think it was an intended consequence. However, it exists right now. And if you are self-employed, you can set up easy retirement plans too, either through a SEP IRA or a simple IRA. And I'm not going to go through all the details, but a SEP IRA has a contribution limit of $53,000 in 2016. Now, you have to make a bunch of money in order to be able to defer all of that money. But if you're in a high tax bracket and you're self-employed and you don't have other employees, if it's just you, this is a beautiful way to defer a ton of income. Again, it gets complicated on how much you can actually contribute. It has to do with your net income. So definitely seek out advice before you start one. And if you have employees too, you can contribute on their behalf. The only caveat is if you're putting in the SEP 10% of your income, you must put 10% of your employees as well. Some people aren't willing to do that, but if you're self-employed and you're a solo employee, the SEP can work out quite beautifully. There is another plan too for government and tax-exempt groups such as schools, hospitals, and churches. It's called the 457 plan. And here's the super cool kicker. So a lot of government entities, schools, hospitals, they have 403B plans set up. In a 403B plan, you can contribute the $18,000 if you're under 50. If that same employer offers a 457 plan, guess what? You can contribute the $18,000 in the 403B and $18,000 in the 457 plan. Man, now all of a sudden there's a lot of places to defer a lot of income. Things are getting quite interesting for very high income earners who can defer a whole lot of income. So the other place where you could actually defer some income to is in a tax-deferred annuity. Now, for the most part, I can't stand annuities. Some of these products are just crazy. They are products sold mostly by insurance reps, and they have huge commissions attached to them and huge yearly fees inside of them as well. Mostly, they're horrible, horrible products. And the only way I ever recommend an annuity to anyone is first, if you're a super high income earner, maybe a tax deferred annuity, but a special kind, or if you're getting ready to retire, and you want to just buy a single immediate annuity. Those are very easy to understand 
and some might be in your best interest. That's a whole nother episode. This tax-deferred annuity I'm referring to for high-income earners, for those who are deferring everywhere that they can but still have more money that they want to defer in current taxes, this can be a great thing for them. And it's great because in the last few years, some tax-deferred annuities, just a few of them, have come out with super duper low costs, no commissions, low upkeep. So you can defer income and not pay out of your ears in commissions and fees. And they're easy to understand. They're a simple tax deferred annuity. Again, for another show, I just wanted to point out that there is another place. And the last place that I want to talk about is just a simple taxable account. If you're maxing out your 401k and or IRA, you can always open up a taxable account. Sometimes people call it a brokerage account. And here you need to pay taxes on your income. You're not deferring anything. However, if you set up your investments right, future taxes on the gains may be long-term capital gains or qualified dividends, which would put you in a much lower tax bracket than your ordinary income that you make on your job. This is a great place for people to store money when they've utilized all of their tax-deferred accounts, all the possibilities. And also, it's good just for tax diversification. We're going to talk about that in a little bit later. However, this is another way to tax diversify. So let's go through a three-step process on what, how you should determine where your money should go. Step one is determining how much are you going to save. This needs to happen. And if it's 15%, it's 15% of your gross income. That's a great starting point. That's step number one. How much of your gross income are you going to save? I'll tell you right now, some people are not saving nearly enough. Others are a little more conservative and they're saving 20, 25%, even more of their gross income. How much are you going to save? And step number two, where are you going to stash the money? Your 401k, your IRA, a taxable account, where? Well, let's go through an example so you can better understand the mechanics behind where your money should go. So let's use an example of a couple who's making $100,000 a year and they plan on saving 20% of their income or $20,000. Let's further say in this example, the person making the $100,000 gets a 3% match on 401k contributions. They're eligible for a 401k plan. But in order to get that 3% match, they need to contribute 6% of their gross income to get the 3%. Let's further say that this is a couple who's married and they're both under 50 years old. So how do we determine where this $20,000 is going? Well, first of all, even if you're in a horrible 401k with bad investments and high expenses, you never want to give up that free money. So the first 6% or the first $6,000 are going into this 401k, period, because now we're getting a $3,000 match. However, that $3,000 we are not including in the gross of $20,000. That's just the bonus. That's just the gravy. That's just the icing on a cake. Okay, let's pretend now 
We got $6,000 in this 401k, but it is a horrible 401k. Investment options, horrible. Expenses, high. So now we're going to turn, so we still have another $14,000 to save, and we're going to invest in IRAs. This particular couple goes and each sets up an IRA. One for him, one for his wife. And just so you know, if one spouse is earning all the income and the other spouse doesn't work at all, she can still contribute to an IRA. So generally, you can only contribute to an IRA if you have that working income in that year. The one exception is the non-working spouse. So we know from previous that each individual in this example can contribute $5,500 to their IRA. $5,500 times two is $11,000. So the next $11,000 of the 20 that this couple is saving is getting invested in the IRAs. Because when you're investing in IRAs, now the potential investment options are unlimited compared to the 401k and expenses you can control and keep very, very low. So now we have $6,000 in the 401k, $11,000 in the IRA, that's $17,000. We still have three more thousand to go. Where do we put the last 3000 Well, since this particular couple only has access to one 401k because only one spouse is working and they've maxed out their IRAs, we're going to take that last $3,000 and move it back up into that 401k. Sure, it's not a great 401k, but it's our best option since we've already maxed out our IRAs. And in this example, there's no access to a SEP IRA. There's no access to a 403B or 457. So we're going to take the extra three and bump it back up into the 401k. If you hate your 401k that much, maybe the other option is take that extra $3,000 and invest in a taxable account. If they decided they were going to do the IRA, the math is real simple. Instead of investing 6% in that IRA, we're going to invest 9% to get the full 9,000 in. The first 6,000 to get the match and the final 3,000 after we max out our IRAs. Now, if it was a great 401k plan, then it gets handled this way. The first $18,000 goes into the 401k plan. We're getting our match, of course, but it's a great 401k, so we're going to invest all that we can in the 401k. Now, that's only 18,000. So the remaining $2,000, now we invest in an IRA. That's how the system works. That's how it should play out in your head. That's why it is so important to really understand the nuts and bolts of your current 401k. It is so extremely important. Now, the last step in the process, though, which we haven't talked about yet, is Roth or non-Roth. So most 401ks have a Roth option, and there is also the Roth IRA. We talked about that earlier. So the million-dollar question is, do I invest in the Roth or do I invest in the regular 401k or regular IRA? And here's the answer. If you're in a really low tax bracket right now, go Roth. Because you're paying so little in taxes up front. 
So there's not that much bite to just pay the taxes now. Because guess what? In a Roth, it's one of the only places where the government does not tax some of your money. It's one of the only places. Because in a Roth, you pay taxes up front. So there is no tax deduction. There is no tax deferral. But everything that grows inside of that Roth account, whether it's a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA, grows tax-free for the rest of your life. So when you start taking money out of the Roth 401k or Roth IRA, it is never taxed again. It's a beautiful thing. Now, the question is, what if you're in a really high tax bracket? Then it becomes a little more cloudy. It becomes a little more cloudy because you may be paying a lot of taxes right now. So you want to defer, defer, defer because that bite, you might be paying 25 or 28 or even more in taxes. So you want to take that deduction right now. Now, the best thing to do, though, is tax diversify. I'm always about diversifying everything you can. Diversify in your investments, in companies, in countries, in asset classes, in sectors. The same tax diversification should go on. We should have money in our Roth, money in our regular 401k and IRA, and some money in our taxable account. So if you're really light in Roth money, I would bite the bullet a little bit and start working on those contributions, even though it hurts a little bit. And maybe not with all of your money, because you can always split it up and do a percentage in Roth and a percentage in regular. Because the key here, friends, is later on, when it comes time to take this money out, there's so much more flexibility from a tax standpoint where you can take advantage of different situations to put you and your family in the best position of achieving everything financially that's important to you. That's the process. And the process is not that difficult. But it needs to be a process because too many people are taking the easy road and they're not taking advantage of everything that's available to them. So step one, figure out how much you're going to save. Man, and I urge you to push that limit up. Step number two, figure out where you're going to put the money. Are you in a good 401k? A bad 401k is a SEP IRA available to you? Can you start one? Do I need to get money in a Roth account? Do I need to start a taxable account? So many decisions, but you can boil it down to make the best decision for you and your family. And lastly, how do I divvy this up? How much goes into my Roth and how much goes into my IRA? I hope this helped because this is a struggle for a lot of individuals to figuring out the best places to put their money. If you guys have any questions at all, please reach out to me. 
scott at bestandwealth.com. Email me anytime and go to the website. Download your 10 steps to a better investment experience. You will be glad you did. Hey, and until next week, I hope everybody has an awesome weekend, an awesome week, an awesome life, being the absolute best family steward you can be. You know where I'll see you guys? I'll see y'all on the flip side. Bye-bye. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance with compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.